I wonder if you'd turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. This summer I felt God was speaking to me out of these verses. And these verses carry a particular poignancy for those of us who've been in new frontiers for some time. It's an interesting section of God's word in Isaiah, the section from Isaiah chapter 40 all the way through to chapter 55 are what's called the servant songs and they're a slightly unusual set of passages which are really saying several things. Number one, they're saying this, if you persist, Israel and Judah, if you persist in going against me, If you persist in going a different direction to what I'm setting for you, if you persist in that, says the Lord, actually I'm going to take you into captivity in Babylon and to bring some judgment to you. But even in that, there's this sense of redemption because one day a suffering servant is going to be raised up. And we don't really understand a huge amount from this passage who the suffering servant is. Of course, we, looking back, understand that it's Jesus who suffered for us on the cross. And they didn't quite understand that. But one day a suffering servant would come and redeem God's people, would release God's people from captivity, true captivity, not the captivity of Babylon, but the captivity of sin and suffering and depression and sickness. And he would come and be their redeemer. He would come and release them. And we get this is Isaiah 49 is one of the servant songs. It's all about Jesus. Now, We could set this in its historical context and teach into that. But the truth is this, as Dan's been reminding us this morning, we as a people are actually in Christ Jesus. So everything that's true of the suffering servant is actually true of us today. So although this song, this passage is about Jesus in its context, actually it's about us as the people of God who are in Christ as well. So let's just read it. It's Isaiah chapter 49, and I'm going to read down uh, probably to verse 6. This is the NIV, but as I'll come on to mention earlier, those who are reading the ESV, who are far more spiritual than the rest of us, those who are reading the ESV will have a particular word of interest in this. So pay attention if you're reading the ESV. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, You distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. This is Jesus speaking, actually, but it's true of us. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me, and this is the word I'm going to particularly pick up, he made me into a polished arrow. And concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I'll display my splendor. And let's look down at verse 6. And he said, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. And bring back those of Israel I've kept. In other words, the servant who comes, it's too small a thing for him to release you from captivity. It's not just for that. But I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. 
We thank you that you're speaking as much today as you were through Isaiah all those many years ago. And we thank you that your word is living and active. And we ask you today, however old we are, however experienced or inexperienced we are, whether we've been a follower of Christ for many years, or maybe today is the first day we're choosing to follow Jesus, we ask you, Lord, that this word would have impact in our lives and that you would send us out from here to truly be a light to the nations. In Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who are reading the ESV, what does it say... Um, in that passage, rather than islands. Coastlands, that's right. And interestingly enough, those of you who know your New Frontiers history will know that originally we used to be called coastlands from these verses, actually, and from similar verses in Isaiah. When Terry Virgo first started, the group of churches that we now call New Frontiers, or for our particular neck of the woods, Christ Central in brackets, part of New Frontiers, other spheres are available. <laughs> Terry called it coastlands because he wanted and felt from these scriptures that he wanted the message of grace and the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus to resonate to the ends of the earth. Now, some graphic designer got hold of that name, coastlands, and decided to do a nice bit of headed paper. Any graphic designers here? No graphic designers. Good. Um, you've got something to answer for sometimes, because sometimes you can get, you can miss the point entirely. And the headed paper that they came up for coastlands, bearing in mind this was supposed to be going to the ends of the earth, was of the seven sisters in Brighton. In other words, those white cliffs, not the white cliffs of Dover, but the white cliffs of Seaford, where Terry lived. And it almost implied that coastlands was all about a little strip along the south coast. Totally the opposite meaning. And therefore, Terry, a few years later, felt, do you know what, we need to change the whole movement's name, not to Coastlands, but to New Frontiers, because that's really where we're going. So these verses have some history for us as the people of God, particularly in our part of the family of God. Also, personally, these scriptures have a real resonance for Anne and myself. There's been several words that we've been party to over the years that have referred to bows and arrows, or particularly arrows. So in our home church of Hastings on the south coast of England, where Anne and I met, where we grew up, where we first were involved in leadership, God said a word to us very early on that young men and women would be prepared and sent out as arrows. Again, referring to this prophetic word in Isaiah 49. And those arrows would go all over the world. Now, interestingly enough, last week, it was Hastings' 40th birthday party. The church has been going 40 years. I didn't quite join it at the very beginning, but about four or five years into it, in the late 70s, I joined uh, Hastings Christian Fellowship now called King's Church Hastings. And they asked me to do a little piece to camera, as you always have to do for these things. So there's me sending my greeting from Manchester. And I'm referring back to this prophetic word. Do you remember that word that God gave us, that we would be sent out as arrows? Well, we've been sent out. Little did I know that they then used that as the whole kind of header for everything they were doing, and then they got clips from people all over the world saying, yeah, and we're here, and we're here, and we're in the Philippines, and we're in America, and we're in Canada, and we're in Africa, and from that local church, literally all the continents of the world have been touched and reached, and I believe that is also going to be true for you here in Sheffield. 
It's also particularly true for those of us who love to live in the north. And I don't know who's true, any true northerners. Yeah, praise God. There's a few, that's good. There's a few infiltrators here, uh, like Anne and I, who want to be adopted northerners. We, we want to be northerners. We don't want to be back at, don't tell anyone this. But we want, we want to be in the north. We love the north. We particularly love Yorkshire, actually. We spent 11 years of our lives in North Yorkshire and absolutely love, uh, these counties of Yorkshire. God's own county, of course. And God spoke to us in New Frontiers. God spoke to us probably about 15 or 20 years ago in the mid to late 1990s. And this is what God said. It was at a time when we felt New Frontiers would expand to the nations. But God said this to us through Terry. He said this, actually, you've got to pull the bow back up to the nation, up through the nation, up into the heart of the nation, right up into the north of the UK. And as you pull the bow back, and Terry saw like a bow superimposed across the south of England, like if you imagine from East Anglia all the way down the south coast to the west country, like this bow superimposed, and he saw the bow being pulled back right up into the heartland of the UK. That's the north of England to you and I. And he said this, this is what God said, as you do that, arrows will be sent out from the north to the nations. And of course, that was our adoptive byline for our North Bible weekend for 10 years, from the north to the nations. That's what God's doing. He's preparing arrows. He's preparing people to be sent out from here to the nations. Now, praise God to fulfill this prophecy. You don't always have to go to Africa or China or America or wherever. Actually, the nations are in our road, aren't they? The nations are in our street. Hands up here if you weren't born in the UK or you're from another nation. Praise God, a few of us. You're so welcome. It's great to have you with us. We believe we exist to reach nations and that God's going to increase nations amongst us. And the third application of this in terms of our own history and of my history was this, that again, Terry Virgo prophesied. We used to go, Anne and I used to go to younger leaders events. We don't get invited anymore. In fact, we were invited a couple of years ago, which I thought, this is great. And they just said, we want you back as a speaker. Thought, oh, great. At one of these Younger Leaders events, Terry prophesied over us in the late 90s uh, as we were moving from Eastbourne, the south coast, to Teesside, North Yorkshire, north east of the UK. And he prophesied this. He said, you're being sent like an arrow. And Terry didn't know the prophecy that we'd had from Eastbourne, from Hastings. He said, you're being sent like an arrow. And he said, when the arrow lands in the north, it's going to become like a maypole, which I thought was a rather strange symbol um, from the lips of Terry. But it's going to be like a maypole. So it's not going to be just some wandering little arrow flapping. It's going to become like a maypole. And people are going to come and join their coloured ribbons to your maypole. I thought, here we go, Morris dancing. People are going to come and join their coloured ribbons to the maypole. And actually the sphere, and he used the word sphere, which is fascinating 15, 20 years ago. He said the sphere of your influence is going to go across the waters to touch Scandinavia which actually we're planting now, three churches at this moment in Scandinavia, and across to the Americas, particularly to Canada. And again, we're working with about 17 to 20 churches in Canada. So isn't it amazing how these prophetic words have got real resonance now? Hold on to prophetic words. Treasure prophetic words. 
Hold on to them. God will fulfill his word. As we heard earlier from several people, particularly from Rich, God is faithful to words that he's said. He's particularly faithful to this word because all the words will be rooted in here. But he's faithful to prophetic words, he said. And some of you may be holding words this morning and feeling, when is that going to be fulfilled? Well, we'll come on to that later. There is a time in God for things to be fulfilled. So let's bring some application from this passage into our lives. The first thing I want to say from this passage is this. It says, before I was born, the Lord called me. From before my birth, he's made mention of my name. And it's so important, dear friends, that we know our security in God. That we know that we haven't just become a Christian because we've investigated it and we've on measure of evidence, we've weighed it up, it looks better than another religion. Or it looks better than another philosophy of life. Or it looks, it's quite a nice lifestyle. We like what Jesus had to say and therefore we've chosen Christ. Well, it might appear from your perspective that you've chosen Jesus, but actually this passage resonates deeply with us. Actually, we did not choose him, he chose us. And from our birth, it says here, from before I was born, The Lord has made mention of my name and he has called me. Jeremiah says exactly the same thing. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And actually the Bible goes even further than that. I mean, what is amazing that Bible tells us a couple of little clues about what God was doing before he created the world. It doesn't say a lot. There isn't a lot in the Bible about eternity past. There's a lot about eternity future. There isn't a lot about eternity past. But we get a little glimpse in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this. For God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. So you didn't choose Jesus. It felt like you chose Jesus. But actually, Jesus has chosen you. He's called you. And if we're going to be those who sent to the nations, whether it's the nations in our streets, whether it's the nations at work, whether it's the nations at school, at college, how many of you kids have different people from different nations in your school? Yeah, many of you do, don't you? Yeah. And if we're going to be sent to those nations and tell them the good news about Jesus, we just need to be very secure in our calling. Very secure that God has called us. We're not doing this on our own behalf. We're not doing it because Dan and Rich say it's a good idea. We're doing it because God has called us to be a light to the nations. He's called us. And you know what? That means we'll encounter all sorts of difficulty, all sorts of trials, all sorts of troubles. But God will even weave those together for his good, for our good and for his glory. I've been struck, as I've studied this, I've been stuck, struck by the parallels with Joseph's life. You know, Joseph with his amazing Technicolor dream coat. You know, he, he hit all sorts of difficulties. He could have been very insecure. He wasn't wanted by his brothers. He had come from a dysfunctional family. There was all sorts of jealousy and strife and discord. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of wrongdoing at work. He was stuck in prison. He was forgotten. And yet God had called him. And God 
had apprehended him. And actually God even wove together all those difficulties. He wove the dysfunctional family into it. He wove the fact that he went down into Egypt. He wove the fact that he was put into prison. He wove the fact of a famine. He wove all the problems of life and the universe into Joseph's life and he used it for good. Right now, if you have issues and difficulties and problems, actually God is going to use them and weave them together for good, for your good and for his glory. So that at the end of Joseph's life, when the brothers come to Joseph at the end of his life, it's interesting, at the end of Jacob's life, the brothers, and they're a bit naughty, the brothers. Anyone got naughty brothers? But they're a bit, they're a bit naughty, the brothers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. A few hands went up there. <laughs> the brothers say this, uh, Joseph, prime minister, because that's where he is at that stage, uh, our dying father's wish was that you forgive us for our sins. And of course, that wasn't Jacob's dying wish. We'll come on to the moment what Jacob's dying prophetic words were. But no, he says, no, jo- Joseph says this, no, brothers, you don't understand. I know you meant it for evil. You can imagine them feeling, oh my goodness. But God meant it for good. And God is weaving together all your difficulties, all your trials, all your troubles, all those things that you're hitting. And you're tempted to think, I'm born to the wrong parents. You're tempted to think, I'm born in the wrong time. You're tempted to think, I've been given the wrong body. You're tempted to think, I've been given the wrong education, the wrong brain. You're tempted to think, I'm married to the wrong person. I've got the wrong family. I've got the wrong this. I've got the wrong that. No, everything in your life up to this point and continuing on has been meant by God to bring out the purposes of God in your life and to make you like an arrow to be sent. All the sharpening and shapening, if that's the right word, that he's been doing in your life is for this end. So let's have a look at this sense of being prepared as an arrow, like this scripture talks about. As a child, I don't know whether any of you kids have ever done this these days. It's probably, see, when I was growing up, we didn't have mobiles, can't believe it. Didn't have iPads, can't believe it. We did have television, but it was black and white. That is absolutely true. Until I left home, my parents had a black and white TV. And you only had three channels. You could actually only get two of them on my parents' TV. <laughs> BBC Two flicked, flicked in and out. We had BBC One and ITV. It was amazing. So we didn't watch a lot of TV or play a lot of games. There were no game, computer games. But we used to go out into the woods. And one of the things I used to do is like to play Robin Hood. You know who Robin Hood is? And Robin Hood makes bows and arrows, or, you know, that's what I thought Robin Hood did. So I would go out and make bows and arrows. That's what I actually would do. I'd go out into the woods, get a big stick for a bow, try get some of my mum's kitchen string on it, tie it up, make an arrow, and uh, do this. And the arrow would go, it wouldn't go anywhere at all. It was really pathetic, but it was a good fun game. God is not in the business of making rubbish arrows. God is taking time to make you into sharpened arrows. And he, first of all, he cuts you out of something. That's what I used to do. I used to cut it out of a tree, cut it out of a bush. And God t- takes us out of something. He takes us out of a worldly way of living. He takes us out of a wrong way of thinking. 
And people, other people around you seem to get away with all sorts of things. They seem to spend their money on all sorts of different things. They seem to have different styles of entertainment and doing things and going certain places and doing certain things. They seem to get away with it. But God speaks to you about something and says, I want you to come out of that attitude. I want you to come out of that materialism. I want you to come out of that attitude where you're worshipping sexuality. Or out of that attitude where you're idolising money. Or out of that attitude where you're abusing power. And he's speaking to us. He's calling us out of things. Now, interestingly enough, he doesn't call us out of the world. He sends us into the world. We'll come on to that later. But he set, he calls us out in terms of attitude and values. And that's God's doing. That's God's hand on you. And it can feel a bit painful sometimes. It's wonderful to become a Christian. It's joyful to get saved. And then suddenly you realize God's starting to strip away things from you. Things that you once did. Things that you once thought you enjoyed. Things that you once could do with free conscience. Now you can't because you've got a clean conscience and a conscience spoke about by the word of God and educated by the word of God. He starts to shape you and change you and strip things away from you. And it can feel a bit strange at first, coming into this Christianity, lining up with God's truth and not being shaped anymore. I once used to sway with the world. When the world went one direction, I swayed with it. It was very nice. I was in this tree. I was in this bush. I felt very attached to the world. Now I feel very different. I feel very cut off. I don't celebrate what they celebrate. I, I don't, I, no longer does that inform me so much. No longer does that educate me so much. No longer do I take the values from that so much. I, I'm cut out of that. I'm, I'm changed. I'm shaped. God's done a work of new creation in us. I was once a stick. Now I'm an arrow for God. He's done something wonderful in us. But it can just feel a bit painful. It can just feel a bit strange sometimes. And we look at our mates just still swaying in the tree. And God's shaping us. He's shaped. No one's at work or at school thinking, I'm shaped for the nations. I'm shaped to go for God. No one's thinking that. They just think, I want a big house, a big car, a pretty husband or wife or whatever. Or a great salary or whatever. Yeah, that, that's what they're thinking. A great education. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking all sorts of different things. I'm thinking, I want my life to count for God. I want to go places for God. And it can feel very strange. It can feel very different as God does that. And then what God starts to do, it talks here about a polished arrow in the text. God starts not just to cut you out of the world, the world's values, the world's attitude. He starts to shape you and he starts to sand you down. He starts to work on your character. He starts to work on you because it's like we're more or less straight, but we're not quite straight. And God wants to work on us. God wants to touch some attitudes in us. And it's interesting, Ginny prophesying about the temple and about bricks being shaped for the temple. It's a wonderful biblical image that we're cut out of a quarry and that we are living stones now in this wonderful building called the church, the temple of the living God. But as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this is what the doctor said, and the doctor isn't Peter Capaldi, you understand that, the doctor is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said this about living stones. We are more or less, sorry, we are all rough-hewn stones when we come out of the quarry. We are more or less the right shape. But there is much need of God's chiselling before we fit properly into our place in the wall. And God's doing some chiselling on you at the moment. 
as individuals and as a church. God's doing some shaping. What stonemasons call it the dressing of the stone, which is a strange word. But it really means making you fit properly. And to take the arrow image, he's sanding off all the things that shouldn't be there. He's working on you. And the way he does that is through difficulties, trials, and conflict. You think, if I was a Christian, surely I'm exempt from difficulties, trials, and problems, and conflict. That's the world's trouble. But what does Jesus say? He says this, in the world, you will have a rosy time. No, he doesn't. He says, in the world, you'll have trouble. You'll have difficulty. And actually, God will use, as I said before, trials, troubles, difficulties, conflict. He'll use those very things to sand you down. He'll use those very things to straighten you up so that you can straighten up and fly right when he actually sends you off. F.B. Meyer, a great biblical commentator on this passage, says this. Trials are God's vote of confidence in you. James, the apostle, says something different, but similar. He says, when trials come knocking at your door, surely we would think God would send them away. He says, no, when trials come knocking at your door, open the door and welcome them in as friends. (laughs) Because they're going to have an effect on your life. They're going to produce good work in your life. They're going to heat up your life and going to produce gold and silver and precious stones. God is about shaping you into his purposes. And that's what I believe God was doing with Joseph. All through Joseph's life, his difficulties at home, his difficulties in Potiphar's household, his difficulties in the prison, all through Joseph's life, he was being shaped by God. And what happens when you get shaped by God? It's a slightly different image, but it's the image of a tree. What happens when a tree encounters difficulties? When a tree encounters things... When a tree encounters drought, when a tree encounters problems, it pushes its roots down even deeper. And Joseph was a man whose roots went right down into God. Let me give you a scripture for this, which interestingly enough refers to bows and arrows as well. This is at the end of Jacob's life. Like I said, the end of Jacob's life, he didn't say, forgive Joseph. Actually, he started to prophesy over all his sons. It's a remarkable passage in uh, Genesis chapter 49. It's amazing if you read the prophecies over each of the brothers. And the most amazing prophecy is the prophecy over, jo- over Joseph. Interesting enough, it was the first prophecy I ever had in my life from my parents, actually, was this very prophecy. But this is what he says. Joseph is like a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over the wall. With bitterness, archers tried to attack him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady and his strong arm stayed supple because of the mighty hand of the Lord. Now, this is Joseph's life. Every time Joseph encountered a trial or a difficulty, it drove his roots down deeper into God. He became more reliant on God. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it's a good one. I'll use it again. In Who Remembers, and it, it probably wasn't so violent up here in the north, but there may be a few southerners amongst us. Who remembers the great storm of 87? 
say, oh, oh, oh yes, right? You know, in the north it was a mild wind, but in, in the south it was a great storm. And I can remember literally our tiles rattling, ends of houses falling in, cars getting crushed. And uh, in the town that we grew up in, Hastings, uh, all the magnificent specimen trees, we had these incredible pine trees in our Alexandra Park, all of them went down. They literally went down like nine pins in this hurricane-force wind because they hadn't been used to standing in such conditions. Uh, my friend Roger Bye comes from a town called Seven Oaks. It became One Oaks overnight. At least one of them was standing. Out on a place called Romney Marsh, Dungeness, some of you probably never heard of it, it's not the prettiest part of the south coast of England. In fact, they built a nuclear power station there. Nobody complained because it actually made the scenery a little nicer. But on Romney Marsh, there are these trees, and they're not the prettiest trees, to be honest with you. They're a little gnarled. They kind of grow with the prevailing wind, southwesterlies. In Hastings, all the trees went down. Guess how many trees went down on Romney Marsh? Not a single one. Same wind. I'll tell you why. They face winds all the time. It was a desolate area. They faced the prevailing winds. They were used to trials. They were used to difficulties. They were used to problems. And their roots had gone down. Thank God for your trials. Thank God for your problems. Thank God for things he sent to you. Why? Because in those very issues, just like Joseph, your roots will go down deeper into God. And you can say, thank you, Lord, for using that. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to go through that difficulty. Because actually, you're sharpening me. You're straightening me. You're making my roots go down deep. Then apparently, the person who makes an arrow, which is called a fletcher. Any fletchers here? A person who's made a... Uh, 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 it's called a fletcher. A person who makes an arrow. They would then stretch the arrow. They'd put it in a frame and they would stretch it. And sometimes you can feel that. You can feel God is putting me in stretching situations. God has put me in that difficult place at work where I'm the only Christian. God has put me in that prison in Joseph's case. God has put me in that difficult employment situation. God has put me in that difficult family. And I'm just getting stretched by the circumstances. I'm just getting stretched by these things. I'm having to step out in my faith. I'm getting stretched in my faith. Joseph didn't stop prophesying. Joseph was a man of the spirit all the time. And he gets into these situations where he has to act righteously. He has to act with truth and honor and integrity. When he's accused of something at work and he didn't do it, he acts with honor. He acts with integrity. In the prison, he just keeps rising up. So in the end, he's in charge of the prison. That doesn't happen unless you're acting with integrity and righteousness. In every setting, Joseph, justice getting stretched by God. And I think some of you are getting stretched by God. This move to congregations will stretch you. Because it's so easy like this. We've got the band, we've got Dan and Rich and it's brilliant and it's everything sorted and ordered and we've got hundreds of people. But when we meet downstairs... Or some of you are already pioneering in the north, you know. It's, it's always a clue, northern pioneers, you know. <laughs> some of you are already pioneering. But, you know, when you start to meet in these new... It'll be different. There won't be such... Well, but, but with the best musician, he's, they're in the other group. But the, the, the best... But the person who prophesied... The, but they're in the... Oh, oh, you mean I've got to step up, do you? You mean I'm getting stretched, do you? You mean... No, actually, yes. You're going to get stretched. You're going to... And you're going to look out and you can think... I used to come to this church that was so full. Now it feels a bit small. 
But why? Because God's stretching you. God's giving you more room to grow. And God does that. He trims back, he cuts back and stretches you that you might grow more in him. And then the arrow. I love this bit. Apparently you can look this up on the internet. The arrow gets treated with oil. The arrow gets made supple with oil. I just felt God say to you this morning, and Dan said exactly the same as he prophesied or brought God's word to us earlier. Don't give up on the Holy Spirit. Don't stop asking for the Spirit. Because the oil in the Bible is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The oil is always a picture of the Spirit coming on us. And God wants to keep oiling these arrows. He doesn't want dry sticks. He doesn't want sticks that will crack or break. He doesn't want sticks that when he chooses to fire them, when he pulls them back, they crack. That doesn't do any good at all. He wants supple sticks. He wants supple arrows that will be oiled in the spirit, that will be flaming, firing arrows that will go in the spirit. Therefore, guys, don't give up on receiving the spirit. Keep receiving the spirit. In fact, it's the spirit's subtlety. It's the spirit's oiliness. It's the spirit's filling that's going to send you out from here. It wasn't until the early church got filled with the Holy Spirit that they started to go out. See, Jesus said to them, go to the nations, and they didn't. They went upstairs. When they got the Spirit, they were propelled to the nations. Now they found the nations on their doorstep, actually. Then they were propelled to the nations. When you receive the Spirit, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Dear friends, we are a movement birthed in the Holy Spirit. We're a movement that became alive because we got filled with the Holy Spirit. We're a movement that started planting churches because we got filled with the Spirit. We're a movement that have gone to all these nations that you've got round the wall because we were filled with the Spirit. Don't lose the immediacy of the filling of the Spirit. Don't lose the impact of that Joseph was a man of the Spirit. When it talks about his roots going down into the water, that talks about living water. It talks about the Spirit. When Joseph's in prison, see, how do I know Joseph was a man of the Spirit? Well, one thing, Pharaoh says, who could we find in all of Egypt like Joseph who is filled with the Spirit of God? That's a pagan king identifying Joseph's source of power and energy, the Spirit. But how do I know that Joseph was filled with the Spirit? I'll tell you how I do, because he never gives up on the prophetic, ever. Now, you think about this. What happens in the prison? One morning, there's a couple of strange dreams. You had a strange dream last night, didn't you, Rachel? A <laughs> couple of strange... <laughs> Rachel's so random. And she came down this morning, I've had a strange dream. I thought, this is going to be amazing. And it was just strange. Um, <laughs> it was just strange, but... <laughs> I thought, this is going to be great. It's going to fit in with everything I'm going to be saying this morning. And it didn't. Um, <laughs> these guys have these strange dreams, the butler and the baker, and one says this and one says that. And interestingly enough, how does Joseph get them to talk? Read the text. It says this. Joseph says to them, why are you looking so sad this morning? Excuse me? We're in prison. We're all sad. It's not a happy place to be, Joseph. And they, said, and they said, no, no, we're troubled by the dreams. He was a man of the Spirit. He, he had intuition of the Spirit. He had discernment of the Spirit. He had a word of knowledge by the Spirit. Okay, tell me about your dreams. I wouldn't have said that. 
I would have said dreams. Dreams? Dream. Shut up about dreams. Don't tell anyone about dreams. Have you got any brothers? Good. Don't tell them about your dreams. Dreams? That's the thing that got me into here in the first place. Keep quiet. Take my advice. Keep quiet about dreams. He doesn't. He says, oh, dreams. Tell me about your dreams. And he starts to interpret it. Joseph was a continual man full of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when God wanted to send him, he was sending a man full of the Spirit. Joseph didn't have to wait for the Spirit. Joseph already was receiving the Spirit. Dear friends, let's receive the Spirit. So you think you're ready? You've been worked on by God. You've been polished. You've been stretched. You've been oiled. You're ready, aren't you? You're ready to go to the nations. Well, what actually happens here is quite interesting. It says... He concealed me in his quiver, or he hid me in the shadow of his hand. And sometimes that's just what God does. You think you're ready right now. You think you're ready to go right now. You think, send me to the nations, Lord. I'm ready. I've been worked on. I've been filled with the Spirit. And what does God do? He tucks you into his backpack. He tucks you into a dark place. He puts you into a place of inactivity, a place where you feel a bit squashed in. You think, God, what's all that about? It's about God's timing. It's about waiting for God. After that amazing incident in the prison with Joseph, you would have thought the next day something would have happened, wouldn't you? That, I mean, this is the, this is no ordinary person. This is the butler to the king. This is Pharaoh's own butler. This is a guy who has real power and influence right of Pharaoh's ear. And Joseph says to him one thing. Joseph's a bit manipulative, sometimes a bit cheeky. He says, oh, butler, by the way, one last thing before you get out of prison. Do remember me and help me to get out of here is the implication. Do remember me. And of course the butler's going to remember him. What is the very thing the butler does? Forget him. I mean, how can he forget? Every day he must wake up thinking, thank God, or perhaps in his case he might have said, thank the gods, because they didn't have, they had multiple gods in Egypt. He, He probably would have said, oh, thank the gods for Joseph. Thank the gods I got out of here. He didn't, he totally forgets. How can you forget that? Well, don't you sometimes just feel forgotten? Don't you sometimes just feel it's happening to everyone else? Everyone else is getting the attention. Everyone else is getting the hands laid on. Everyone else is leading. Everyone else is going to Canada. Everyone else is going there. Everyone, everyone else is doing it. But I feel just left out. I feel alone. I feel I'm in a dark place. That's exactly where God wants you. He's got you just where he wants you. So that at the right time and at the right place, And just when Pharaoh's about to have a dream, just when God's visiting something, just when God's doing something powerful and anointing, he gets hold of you and he fires you right into the heart of his purposes. That's what he did with Joseph. That's what he did with Anne and I. That's what he's doing with some of you. But I'm encouraging you, wait patiently. I came across this scripture in Habakkuk. It's a strange scripture. Because it apparently seems to be saying two different things. But just get hold of this. For the revelation, in other words, the end point, the destination, where we're going, me being released into God's purposes, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and will not prove false. In other words, God's going to do it. 
Though it linger, what do you mean linger? Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and not delay. That's strange, isn't it? God's idea of lingering is not delaying. God's wait sometimes. And God is very, wait, 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 wait. Now, waiting in faith, not passively, but waiting in faith. And God's saying that to some of you. Just wait. I'm about to fire you. Wait, though. Wait patiently. Don't be discouraged. Don't feel forgotten. You're just in the right place where I'm going to send you out to the nations. And then there's this suddenly of God. And Joseph is suddenly got hold of and propelled not just into the palace, but into the minister of prime minister. And he affects not just a nation of Egypt, all the nations, it said, came to Joseph for seed. All the nations of the world. And actually, this is for all the world. What God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in your life, what God is doing here in City Church Sheffield, what God's doing with this multiplication in terms of congregations, what God's doing with multiplication of leadership, it's not just to build a great church in Sheffield, although God loves and wants a great church, it's for the nations. It's so that we would be sent out like arrows into our places of work into places of darkness in this city that need, an, uh, that need the light of God. Have you ever thought, why am I in a dark place? I mean, people say it to me. Oh, it's very dark at my work. And I go, good. They go, what do you mean good? Well, why do you think God's put a light in there then? Why do you think God's put you in there to shine a light? This is actually what the verse says. It says, it's too small a thing to restore Israel. You know, we could say that. We could say, it's too small a thing to have a great church. It's just too small a thing to have a great meeting on a Sunday morning. It's too small a thing just to get the church right. Because it's not about getting the church right for the church's sake. It's about getting the church right for the church's purpose, which is to be a light for the nations. It's to go into all the world. A light for the Gentiles that my salvation might reach the ends of the earth. And again, to quote Ginny's prophetic word this morning, she talked about it's time for the glory... She said it in a beautiful Sheffield accent. But it's time for the glory to be seen. It's time for us to move out. That's what she said. And I believe that's a prophetic word of God for you here. And sometimes a prophet can be without honour in their own setting. Because if Ginny said that in Canada, they'd be tweeting it, writing it down, writing things about it. He's like, wow, the prophet's... Just Ginny. Now listen, the word of God came to us this morning and God said to us, it's time for the glory to be seen. God is moving us outward. God is doing that with you here and God is preparing many young arrows, young guys here in schools and colleges. God is preparing many older arrows. You think it's all about the young people? No, actually God, there's some seasoned arrows here. Arrows that God has taken a lot of time to work on because he wants to send you powerfully into some situations. God's worked on some guys for business. Guys, I mean that guys and girls, I I use that generically always. Guys in business, people in healthcare, people in education, people in judiciary. God is calling this church to penetrate the darkness of Sheffield. I believe God's calling you to plant. Well, this is the word I felt God say to me this morning for you. I just wrote it at the end of my notes this morning. Multiplication. It's not just multiplying into three or two elders. Two need to become four. 
Hear that? Two need to become four. Elders. Right? That's no mystery to what I'm saying. Two need to become four. It's great one's become two. Two need to become four. Three is great, but three needs to become six. Actually, there's seven. Seven is quite a significant number for Sheffield. Seven hills or valleys or rivers or something or other. And uh, I remember being with you... I remember being with you, I'm so culturally contextual, I remember being with you some time ago with your leaders saying, I felt God wants to multiply something of seven. And they said, do you realize seven is a significant number for Sheffield? I said, I have no idea, I didn't know that at all. But God says he's going to multiply you. Don't settle for three congregations. God wants you involved in church planting. God wants to reignite church planting across the north of the UK. There's massive cities like Rotherham. There's massive areas like Barnsley. And they're on our doorstep. Who's going to go? Well, actually, there are going to be people sent from congregations like this, arrows like this that are going to go. There are people who are going to penetrate business communities. There are people here who are going to go to nations. Just It's not just for Mark and Debbie to go to Canada. There are other people sitting in this room who will go to nations. And you know God's put that on your heart. And God's saying, it's time for multiplication. It's time for more flags. It's time for more here. It's time for more in the social action. It's great what you guys are doing in food bank. We honour it. It's brilliant. But God says more multiplication. There's more ministry in terms of serving the poor. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, said Jesus. And he's going to call me to preach good news to the poor particularly. God's got multiplication on our hearts.